Adirondack community, capturing, retaining, and communicating the stories of who we are is a multi-year local history project that collects and organizes audio stories and related photographs from Town of Keene community members. Visit us at myadirondackstory.org to hear about the rich social and cultural history of our community located in New York State's Adirondack Mountains. This is Tedra Cobb, and as you've heard in part one, in August 2011, Tropical Storm Irene produced heavy damage over much of New York, and in Keene, it was devastating. The storm was one of the most costly in the history of New York State, with the impact on residents' lives felt to this day. The firsthand accounts you'll hear in two podcasts were difficult for some to tell, even now. But once again, this community came together to get through unimaginable challenges. Our first story comes from Dan Mason. Take your tissues out to listen to this story that proved once again that this town treats everyone as family, even if they're here for only one day. Hi, my name is Dan Mason, and I want to talk to you about how the town of Keene treats everyone as family, even if you're here only for a day. So this story begins with Eli Yaman, a jazz musician, and his family visiting my wife and I, Debbie Rice. Um, they were, I think, had their daughter go looking at Camp Treetops, and they also had a guest who had a classic uh, uh, chemo head bandana over their head, and her daughter as well. And they were here, and uh, they were talking to their na- their friends down in in New York City because Irene, uh, Tropical Storm Irene was coming, and uh, they needed to decide what they're going to do. Are they going to stay, or do they go? And through their friends' advice, they decided to stay. And as they decided, and as the rains came, as we all know, it was intense, and when I went outside, I never saw so much water running off my property. And as we were going through, of course, we lost power. Our backup generator came on. They're inside cooking pizzas, playing board games, somewhat oblivious. I went down to look at the road, and the river was quite high during daylight. And I went up and I told them, I said, we're going to have to go down in the morning to check it out. But, it, you know, we'll see what it's going to be. I went down the following morning, and Gristmill Road in Keene, a large section, was gone. I walked along the bank, uh, went over to the side. Lance LeClaire was operating a front-end loader, and I said, when do you think this will be together? And he didn't know, and I didn't really expect him to. I said, well, I'm going to go into town, check, check it out, and I did in Keene, and it was a mess. And uh, so I walked back, saw Lance again, and uh, I said I'd be back down around noon. And uh, went back up to the to the house and uh, told everybody that the road was gone and that we'd have to have an alternate way, maybe. But we'll see. And we decided that we'd go down because everybody was impatient around mid-morning. So on 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, we went down. This is everybody. So Eli, his wife, the kids, and the lady who needed chemo in like two days in New York City was down there. And I saw uh, Bruce Reed across the way. I walked across. And I said, Bruce, when do you think this is going to be done? He says, well, that lady over there needs chemo. This is job one. So 
He said, what time would you like me to come back? He said, well, come back around three and he should have something passable. Well, everybody's all excited. We're going to come back around three. We come back and it is the worst logging road you've ever seen. It is soft. It's mushy. It's right there on the edge of the river. You don't know if the dirt's going to go into the river. So I explained to the team, we're going to go across one car at a time. And when I get across the next one, next one, well, we all got across. I thanked Bruce. He said, no problem. Job one. And we then drove off to uh, E-Town to get on 87 to get him home. As we got to 87, they started flashing lights of their car. <laughs> and I looked at each other and said, what other crisis are we going to have to solve to get him back to New York City? And <clears throat> Excuse me. They went and uh, they got out of their cars and they said they never had anybody so nice to them, be so nice to them. But they and they didn't know them, and they were just this is said, This is keen, this is what we do. So the lady got back, got her chemo, she's fully in remission. Uh, their uh, Eli's daughter uh, went to Camp Treetops, and she's now can't go anymore, she's too old. But they love this area, and so this is my story how the town of Keene adopts everyone who stays in the town. Catastrophes bring out the best of people in Keene, as many residents were suddenly forced to deal with damage to their homes and businesses while the rain was still falling. Others in the community started the planning process to create a flood rescue fund to deal with immediate needs and restore the town. My name is Nadj Wyckoff. On Sunday, August 27, 2011, I was woken by an early morning phone call. A neighbor wanted to know if he could park his cars in my yard. Sure, I said, why? Because the Osable is over its banks and started to cover my yard. He responded. Heavy rains brought by Tropical Storm Irene had been pounding my roof all night, but I hadn't thought it rained that hard. My partner Renee and I grabbed some umbrellas and walked down the Levy Lamb Way to BD Road. First, we were aware of the heavy rumbling sounds. Phelps Brook had turned into a raging torrent, and the sounds of boulders could be heard tumbling down the stream. BD Road was nearly flooded out to Route 73, with several houses now surrounded by the dark current. A few snowmobiles had been driven on top of Beatty Bridge. After talking with some neighbors, we scouted the air to see the extent of flooding as waters continued to rise. We spent much of that day helping others where we could. The next morning, I got a call from Jim Herman asking if I could make it over the Nature Conservancy to help put together a flood rescue fund. People will de be desperate for financial help, he said. I was able to make it over. Jim, Dave Mason, Henrietta Jordan, Vinnie McClellan and others were in the room, people all familiar with raising money, grant writing, and disaster release. I learned that Vinnie had spoken with Callie Brooks at the Adirondack Foundation about setting up a fund. They contacted Jim and Dave, who set up a meeting. As a not-for-profit was needed, Phyllis and Mike McKinnon, along with Tom Both, Paul Martin, of the Keene Valley Trust were there. We recognized that we had a short media window in which to get our need for funding out to a larger audience. We agreed we needed to break into groups taking on various tasks. Jim was the overall head for the fundraising and marketing, and Dave for distributing the money raised. 
Henrietta took on drafting the application forms. Phyllis took on organizing a committee to distribute the money, all this before we'd raised a dime to give out. We needed the blessing of our town supervisor, Bill Fairby, to develop this funding effort. We felt it was critical that politicians not be involved in giving out the money, and the names of anyone applying for money, along with the amount they received, be kept confidential. Jim, Vinnie, and Paul pitched Farabee on this approach, and to his great credit, he readily agreed. By Tuesday, we had the financial mechanism for raising and accepting money established, a website online that featured photos illustrating the damage to the Keene Firehouse, homes, and businesses, and the destruction of the roads that had all routes in or out of Keene initially blocked. By Wednesday, Phyllis had put together a distribution committee that included Mike Whitney, Bobby and Tom Hickey, Frank Owen, and Peg Olson. Another task that I worked on was learning what FEMA would and would not do so that we did not replicate their efforts. Our goal was to meet the needs they could not. We told FEMA we'd share with them who was seeking our help if they would share us who reached out to them. So together we could identify the need to make sure everybody was getting help. They did not like this idea. It was not, of their, it was not part of their policy. But eventually we managed to convince them to take a more cooperative approach. By Thursday, our allocations committee was established and we have set up a priority of helping local businesses as they were not allowed to receive financial help from FEMA. Joanne Whitney acted as a recorder of the uh, grant-making committees that uh, Dave Mason moderated. Each committee member also would reach out to people that affected most, you know, ask about their situation, explain the flood fund. Many of the requests for help and checks were done by hand. Over time, we came to know the status of everyone in town. We worked the media that arrived in our community in force. We tapped our contacts, lobbied the governor and the visiting state and federal representatives. We had our scouts out checking on people and working closely with volunteers such as Joe Pete Wilson and Keen uh, Ron Conowitz, where the vital ears are on the ground. We offered to share our planning materials with the town of Jay, but were initially rebuffed that they wanted to do it their way and have a uh, town board committee allocate the funds. Our efforts began while the rivers were still rising and the rain was still coming down, and our checks went out within four days. In the end, we raised and distributed over a half million dollars. That's better. John Brown was focusing on his young family one minute, and the next was helping friends to check damage. He never expected fear to be part of neighbor helping neighbor. My name is John Brown, and I live right near Cedar Run in Keene, and I did during Tropical Storm Irene. My uh, son was one year old that year, and... We uh, had spent a sleepless night before, um, so my wife and son were were sleeping most of the day, and I was watching the rain come down from inside the house, and, um, you know, slowly we heard the news that uh, the water was rising in Keene Valley, and I saw nothing really happening by me. But very quickly, um, we noticed that the water was running over the banks and uh, running through the park. And 
I knew that uh, I had to start taking action and didn't know what was going to happen. So we, um, we worked to get the cars out of my driveway before they got trapped um, where I couldn't get them out. And I was going to pull my tra- tool trailer out and realize that there was no way I was going to get it through the current that was just quickly rising. So we had a scramble and took the cars out and I called a friend, uh, Kirk Basarab and asked him for some help. And when he showed up, we just, we just took the cars right out. And because I couldn't get my tools out of the tool trailer, we unloaded the tool trailer into the house. And I told him I would go over and, uh, help him with his uh, sugar shack and get prepared for the flood there. And um, at that point in time, there was cars bobbing in Cedar Run parking lot. They had shut down the bridge uh, over the Osable River in downtown. And uh, they did let us walk through. So we walked through town and we couldn't, couldn't walk down the road. We couldn't walk down the sidewalk. It was all underwater. We were going through backyards and, um, we, uh, walking through, walking through water. And when we got over to his, uh, Kirk sugar shack and, um, he was already flooded past the point where we could get in or do anything. And, he was, uh, his, uh, sugar shack was just going to have to, to deal with it and roll with it. Um, we got, we hustled back to my house, crossed the, uh, the bridge again. We were worried about getting stuck, um, and not being able to get back. And as right when we got back, we were sitting in my house and Kirk got a call to come back downtown to town hall and shut the water off there. And, um, at that point I didn't want to let him go alone. So the two of us took back off through the water and we could hear, we could hear stones rolling through the highway through the middle of town, like watermelon sized stones, just, just, uh, bouncing, down the highway and we um passed through and the fire station had been there 15 minutes ago and was gone and we um passing through the currents actually lost footing and had to scramble just to uh regain regain myself and make sure I didn't get, um, pulled, pulled away with the water. And so luckily, uh, we were okay, but, um, my main takeaway from this is that I've always felt super fortunate to have been a witness to such destruction around all around me. And luckily my family and I, just came out without barely a scratch. Just made it.
Val McDonough Warner lovingly honored her late brother, David, owner of the hardware store, in a story that includes recognition of how the town came together quickly to salvage what they could from the store, so heavily damaged from Irene. My name is Valerie, and I'm here to talk about my big brother, David McDonough. 66 years ago today, he was born in the old Keene Valley Hospital, where the Nature Conservancy building is now. David was the oldest of nine kids, and he was our go-to guy. We looked up to him, not only because he was six foot two, but he was wise, protective, caring. He kept us all safe. David was a devoted family man. His wife, Paula, and children, Tiffany, Tatum, and Ewan, and his grandchildren were so precious to him. While attending Adirondack Community College in 1973, he was offered a full-time position at Keene Valley Hardware. They say you have many different careers over the course of your lifetime. David has had his all under one roof, the hardware. First, he was a custodian, then laborer, then clerk, then bookkeeper, then part owner, then became owner in March 2001. David was a humble, generous, kind-hearted soul who would give you the shirt off his back, always said he was a male version of our mom, Patsy, always putting others first. When Hurricane Irene hit, we had three feet of water in the store and about five feet in the sheds. The heavy flower boxes, propane cage, and lumber were floating down Main Street. When we were able to get back in the store, the look on David's face was of utter devastation. He was as white as a ghost. This store was his baby. There was sludge mixed with merchandise. Racks had fallen over. Stuff everywhere. It looked like a bomb had gone off. He raised his hands and said, what are we going to do now? At that moment, young kids, teenagers, summer residents, and town folks started pouring in with their sleeves rolled up and ready to help. And help they did. Shoveled, sludge, mopped, cleaned merchandise, whatever needed to be done. They offered garages for storage, equipment, money, time, love, and tons of support. What a community. David was so grateful. The hardware store survived. But sadly, David was diagnosed with cancer in 2012 and lost his courageous battle on June 10, 2013. His presence is surely felt in every nook and cranny at the hardware. His smile shines down on us from the picture at the cash register at the store. He is fondly remembered as our gentle giant and our big teddy bear. He is loved and missed every day. Tropical Storm Irene was 10 years ago, but its impact continues. Thanks for listening to these stories from Adirondack Community, capturing, retaining, and communicating the stories of who we are. Hear more at myadirondackstory.org and let us know your reaction to what you've discovered. If your community wants to start a story project, learn how, 
at www.ourstorybridge.org.